every woman has a birth story to tell. This podcast is our birth story. The birth story of how each of us became midwives. Our journey to midwifery. I'm your host, Amber Wilson, a doctor midwife. And each episode, I'll take you on another journey to hear the stories of midwives all across the globe. Listen to each tell the story of their personal journey. Listen to the words of how each was birthed into the field of midwifery and listen to the stories of trials and tribulations along the way and the love and passion each holds for midwifery. Today on our podcast, we have Kara, who's a certified nurse midwife, and she practices in Omaha. So Kara, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about where you practice, how long you've been in practice. Okay. So my name is Kara Higgins, and I'm a certified nurse midwife at One World Community Health Center in Omaha, Nebraska. And we are a super big, busy, busy community health center that targets our our primary population is immigrants and refugees. And I share my practice with seven other midwives. And we collaborate, our collaborating physicians are actually the residency program at Creighton University in Omaha. And I think that we average about 50 births a month. And we see on an average clinic day, I see about 24 patients. Uh, A lot of our patients end up delivering on the way to the hospital or uh, they don't always make it in uh, because they're really, they've had a lot of babies and they have them fast and ferocious. And so um, our birth numbers every month aren't necessarily reflective of how busy our practice is. Mm -hmm. That's funny. Yeah. Um, So how long have you been a practicing midwife? I've been a midwife for over a decade. That sounds really, that makes me sound really old, Um, (laughs) 11 years. And prior to that, I worked as a L&D nurse and a uh, in a birth center in Kansas, in Kansas City, Missouri. And before that, I was actually a pediatric oncology and hospice nurse. Okay. So what made you decide you wanted to become a midwife? At that time, what was your reason? Uh, A couple, a combination of a few things. I had had experience working with midwives internationally. Uh, I knew the model of care. I'd seen it in places like Guatemala, and I'd always really um, been impressed with the the interpersonal relationship that midwives have with women. And I just really liked the with woman concept. Uh, But then I was young. I was a doing pediatric oncology. And I really noticed as I was starting to do more hospice that my, uh, my heart went out more to the mothers than the children, because we were able to provide those kids with peace and solace. And it was the moms that I was providing actually more care to while I was doing hospice and just really realizing my heart was for the moms. And then I personally, with my first pregnancy, I ended up having true eclampsia with seizures. And prior to the delivery of my daughter, it was a midwife that was listening to my symptoms that was taking the time to uh, all the red flags going up and really listening to me. I'd been having symptoms for a long time, but it wasn't until I saw a midwife um, that they started to recognize I was getting really sick. So it was kind of a combination of a lot of things. Yeah. 
So um, I assume you chose CNM because you were already a nurse versus another path of midwifery. I did, yeah. And in the Midwest at the time I was living in Kansas City and in Kansas City, it's interesting because half the city is Missouri and half the city is Kansas and they do have CNMs, they have lay midwives um, and they have birth centers and they have hospitals and they have home birth. So they have every, everything for women. And I knew I already had my bachelor's degree and I was noted, I knew I wanted to get my master's because I always felt like I was suggesting to the docs I worked with what they needed to do. Uh, I was always planting the seed for the plan of care. And so I knew I wanted a master's degree and I wanted to have that autonomy. And so for me, it was a really easy choice, um, educationally speaking. And because I'd had enough experience um, in that city with all the lay midwives versus um, every other option you could go. So for me, it felt like a CNM was the best, the best fit. Now in Nebraska, do CNMs have autonomous practice? What, what's the restrictions on them? Yes. Um, but home births are illegal in Nebraska. Okay. And I think we're, I think Nebraska, I actually live in Iowa. So all my, we're a compact state. So all my licenses are Iowa licenses, but I practice in Nebraska and in Nebraska, I think it's the only state left, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Nebraska is the only state left where home births are illegal. We do have a few birth centers, but they're in rural areas of the state. I'm in Omaha, um, which is a pretty big metropolitan, like I think around, well, so to speak, I mean, around a million people. So um, there's not any birth centers or freestanding birth centers on the eastern side of the state. But yes, we have we have autonomy-free midwives can practice solo. So what school did you attend to become for your master's to become a midwife? I went to the University of Kansas um, to KU Med Center in Kansas City, Kansas. And I did that um, part-time. I think I was officially a part-time student because I had babies and I was working full-time at night. Um, so it took me like around three years, like two and a half years maybe to finish. Did you consider any other schools? I looked at Frontier, and I think I probably would have done Frontier even if I would have been able to travel more easily. But KU was in my backyard, and so it was really easy for me to get to and from whenever I needed to go to the clinical days or workshops or whatnot. So um, I didn't look real hard other than those two. How is their program set up? Is it, are they on campus, online, hybrid? What does that look like? Kind of both. It's both. I, they have, at KU Med, they have a certain number of days each semester where they have the students come in for two or three full days of in-class instruction and clinic, or sorry, clinical what skills. I guess they're called skill sets or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then they have enough preceptors within the communities and students can create kind of their own setups with seeking where they're going to do their clinicals at as well. So did they find your site? Actually, um, it's kind of funny. Uh, they did what, where I was working when I was working at a birth center, a freestanding birth center as a nurse, I had asked that midwife and cause she had previously had students, but not at that time. So I didn't really recreate it 
so much as just reestablish that relationship. And then I did another, I sought out to go to um, a reservation. So I sought out a midwife that I knew was doing midwifery at an Indian uh, reservation and helped them kind of establish that to be a clinical site. And then there were a few that were already there that I just did those when it was my turn. So kind of a little of both. Yeah. Um, so you you worked during school, correct? <laughs> yeah. Yes. How did you manage work, being a mom? Being uh, a mom? It, was, it was not a, a fun season of our lives. Like I worked night shift because I really wanted to still, well, we financially needed me to still work, mm-hmm. A, and B, I knew I wanted as much experience as possible. And I always tell our students that because sometimes we have students that have gone straight from their bachelor's to their master's and they have little to no clinical experience. And I really discourage that because you just need the practice of checking a cervix. You need the practice of learning what labor looks like. Um, and so I wanted to, I knew I really wanted to be getting as much experience as possible, especially because I was working at a birth center. So a birth center birth looks so different from a hospital birth. And so I did PRN at the birth center. And then I worked two nights a week at a busy urban hospital and did the night shift. And that worked out pretty well, the night shift, because I could still study toward the end of the night. I could get some studying in. What was hard was getting home in the mornings. It was just really probably not even safe because I would be so tired and I'd go home and try to take care of my, at the time I had a two-year-old and a newborn and I'd only sleep when they slept. And so it just wasn't a good time in our lives, but we got through it and I got a lot of experience under my belt as I was a student both like personally being a new mom and a young mom. And then also because I was still working in two different environments. Yeah. Wow. That's busy. How old were you when you started? The kids were under two. How old were you? 28. And you had, um, your husband was supportive of. Yeah. Yes. He, he always has been. He really loved the midwife model too. And just the mindset that birth is a healthy stage of life. It's a, it's a condition, not an illness kind of model. And he kind of goes that direction anyway. And so he was all for it. He's, he's pretty, he's a, he's kind of a feminist. I mean, he's always been, he's always been um, supportive of me and women in general, empowering women. So I was really blessed that he was, he helped make it work. Yeah. So always my key takeaway with this, when you have kids and partners is they have to be 100% on board for it Absolutely. to work. And I feel like that even just with midwifery, our practice does, right. we do labor sitting. And so my whole family, that takes your whole family to be supportive of you being at the hospital for 12 hours straight or being in a home for a full day. Uh, And in those early years, when I worked at the birth center, I would take my newborn baby with me. And it was awesome. Like he grew up in a birth center and it always seemed that he would wake up whenever the babies were being born. And he would always be like crying when the babies were born. Uh, And I loved it. Like it was just like such a natural thing. And all my children 
are such um, supporters of women and like champions of women. And I have teenagers now and I have tween boys and they are the first ones to defend a girl. And they're the first ones to have comfortable conversations about reproductive health and birth control. And I just think it's partly because their whole lives they've had to be like in a midwife family. How did you finance your education? Uh, we took out, we did student loans. I did student loans and I knew uh, I've. it was very difficult for me to work in a ho- hospital that had a large private practice. I have never enjoyed that population as much. I'm bilingual. I've traveled a lot. I just enjoy um, a different population. And so I knew I was probably going to look for a job where I could get a, a loan repayment program. And our, our, um, where I, where I got hired had that. And so I was able to get my loans forgiven, um, within the first few years of working there. Nice. That's awesome. And I'm still there. So I, I mean, I did that knowing that was kind of my dream job. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. So board questions, if you can remember back then, um, Uh how about how long after graduation till you took your boards did you pass the first time and if you remember what you used to study so I'm old enough that uh (laughs) I asked to take them as soon as possible because we were in the process of adopting two of our kids and we uh knew that at any moment we were going to get a call to travel and so I took them too soon I took them within a month after I graduated Mm -hmm. and I did not I studied with at the time there weren't on online apps or very many programs the testing was still online at a testing site but I used the old books that you could buy and just take test after test Mm -hmm. Uh, but I had a ton of anxiety about it and I actually ran out of time and I didn't pass the first time because I took so long Mm -hmm. and I was so, at the time we were selling our house, we were relocating to another state. We were waiting to get this call for two more children. It it was not a good time for me to try to take a test. And I actually petitioned to the board to let me retake sooner. I think they have a rule that you have to wait a certain number of months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, listen, this is the situation. I'm not, a, I wasn't in a good mindset. And they let me take it within a week after I didn't, I ran out of time and failed. And then I passed it. And I didn't do anything different in my studying between those two weeks. I really just worked on uh, my anxiety and being in a good mind space and mindset for uh, getting the job done. Wow. That's pretty yeah. powerful. I, it's a, my, it's it, test taking is a skill, you know, and uh, school was always pretty easy for me. And that was kind of the first time in my life I was like, oh crap, what am mm-hmm. I doing? I have so mm-hmm. much going on. <laughs> And then when I went in and just took, you know, right, the first answer, the first time, all those things they tell you to do, I just flew through it and it was fine. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's important. Clear your mind. Where are you going there? For sure. So job questions after you graduated, um, how long till you had a job? How did you find your job? All the job questions. So I actually was recruited by the chief medical director at One World because her son was a student of my mom's and my mom mentioned that I'd had international health 
care background and I spoke Spanish and she started recruiting me um, probably I think in January of the year that I graduated. So like five months before graduation, she started recruiting me and I went for the interview and I went to a couple other places and interviewed as well, but it was for me like the ideal job. It was in a really big community health center with, I'd use my Spanish and there were other midwives and I would, so I had it really good. I had a job before I graduated and the other thing I really enjoy about our practice is that we do a lot of family practice med because the patients we see often don't have access to healthcare until they're pregnant mm-hmm. or they don't, they've never, they've lived in a place where they've never had healthcare. And so when they're seeing us, it's sometimes the first time they've ever set foot in a, um, in a healthcare facility. So that looks a lot different uh, when our students are with us. They're kind of, their minds are blown because I know in midwifery school, you don't get a ton of family practice. You get a little, but not a lot. And I think more than half of my day, I'm doing family practice in addition to OB or women's health, which is just cool because we're capable of doing that, right? We just, a lot of places we don't. And so I enjoy that. Yeah, and it, it's kind of, it's complex and it challenges me and it's fun to work alongside um, different providers that aren't midwives that really like us and let us do our things. So I am glad stuff. you pointed that out because a lot I've noticed people will say, "Well, I can't do that. I can't manage that," and I'm always like, "Well, you actually can. It's within yeah. your scope." Yeah, so for that's sure. great that you do that. So now that you've been doing this for 10 years and you have older kids, what does your work-life balance look like now for you? So for me, I feel like I've kind of paid my dues. Uh, I only do 12-hour call now. I share a 24-hour call with another midwife that she and I have been in our practice for a while. So she does 12-hour day, and then I come in for the 12-hour night. And like I said, we do labor sitting. So if we've got a patient in-house, we're there with them because we really try to embrace the midwife model, even though we're in a hospital setting, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially because so many of our patients are used to home births or they're used to like the little parterre from the village they came from. And so we really also feel a little bit like gatekeepers um, for who goes in and out of their room and that they're getting the experience they want. And so for, for us, when you're on call, you're, you're pretty busy. And those first years, in the first eight or nine years, I did the 24-hour call, and I really think that it's important for new grads to do that because there's a lot of right ways to do things with OB, but you got to learn that. There, you have to experience choosing Pitocin over ripening. So a new midwife that's coming into practice in Omaha, what should they expect for as far as salary benefits, that whole package? So our cost of living is great. You have to be fair. You're a new grad, seventy-five to eighty thousand starting, and and then plus benefits. And for our practice, we get a thousand dollars a year for continuing ed money, and then all of our license licensors and resources for that are covered. And then we get three weeks of PTO, and then that adds on. You get a certain number 
a year added on as you work there. Mm -hmm. So after all this time you've been a midwife, what makes you go to work every day? What's your reason for being a midwife now? I love when a mom is born. Uh, when a when a woman realizes what she can do and she she can recognize that her choices and her actions are so empowering and so strong. And that's my favorite part is when I see mm-hmm. a mom being born. Mm-hmm. It's true. And I think people always think the baby, but really it is a mom. Yeah, it is for me for sure. Mm-hmm. Especially when when they're making choices, even through their pregnancy, sometimes it's like saying, walking away from an abusive relationship that maybe they've been in for five years and they realize they're strong enough to walk away from it um, for the first time. Or maybe it's even just like quitting smoking and they've been trying to quit smoking their whole lives or for whatever reason, even just the parts of making a choice on behalf of someone else and being able to do it. And that's really part of being a mom too, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you have a quality that you possess that you feel has made you successful through this journey? Uh, well, I'm, I probably am a little more empathetic than the average person, which is, uh, a helpful tool with midwifery because to be with women, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to always agree with their choices or their actions. But if you're really with women, you got to be with that woman. Um, and that's, that's like what the, the soul of midwifery is, right. Is to come alongside someone and sit with them in their experience and just to be supportive. And that, uh, I think that's probably one of the characteristics that I have. And you work with an extremely vulnerable population. So I do. Your empathy level is probably on another scale. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I probably. Yeah, that's not the average. I don't think the average job. So that that's really um, can I would imagine really wearing sometimes. Yeah, yeah like shutting it out, learning to with, with age and experience, when you get more seasoned, you get, I think I've gotten better at being able to shut it off and to kind of compartmentalize work from life experience. But sometimes it's really hard. And one of the things that I'm thankful for, and my husband is actually thankful for is we've always told our patient stories. And I don't mean like, obviously, violating HIPAA, but sharing some of the experiences that our families go through with our own kids, because it just gives them more perspective on the rest of the world and what, what it, what's going on around them. Mm -hmm. So, and to lead into that, can you share, cause you have a big story out being a midwife, what you do? Yeah. So, um, my husband and I have a nonprofit called Imana Kids, and it is an orphan care program in East Africa. And in East Af- in Rwanda, you cannot adopt children internationally anymore, only domestic adoption. 
but Rwanda is a developing country, so they don't have the resources to support all the kids that they have. And so our nonprofit matches kids with um, American families, American individuals to provide their education fees, medical fees, and then um, program fees. And so we have staff and we have kids that then they get placed in foster families. And our the community here on this side of the pond provides those kids with not only their financial fees for school and medical, but also letter writing, emailing, um, messaging. And then we send teams four times a year to work with the kids in the program on very specific things that we cannot hire locals to do. So our our program really focuses on empowering the kids and the community in Rwanda and coming alongside them, but not doing things that we could hire them to do. So if we send teams, we do a lot of trauma care, um, which there's not trauma informed counselors or programs in Rwanda. So we feel like, okay, we can provide that. Uh, or we do life skills like job, job training and interviews and resumes and practice inter mock interviews, things like that, because there's not anyone in Rwanda that can do that. Um, so no, we're not the kind of group that goes and like paints a school for the fourth time in one year or builds something because we can hire someone to build. Uh, so we do that. And then we, we have 203 kids in our program now that are matched with families here in the U.S. And those kids are either in foster families or they're living at a boarding school or they're going to college. And then we're also building a Hope Hope Village, which is the trauma-informed school and foster care community. How often do you personally travel there? Oh, it used to be like four times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're able to cut it down normally twice a year. Sometimes I'm the only one that can go or my husband's the only one that can go because we're the ones that deal with the government the most. We really try to encourage our Rwandan staff to be able to be self-sufficient without us, but that doesn't always work out that way. Um, but normally now, the last couple of years, it's just been two or three times a year. That is so huge and amazing, and you are midwifing the world. Thank you. I feel really blessed to do it. And I feel like in ways like midwifery goes with orphan care. Yeah. Uh, and we have a lot of foster moms that in our community there that are caring for like six kids. And maybe only one or two of them are biological, but they're just encompassing what whoever needs cared and loved. They're they're there. And so I just really love that. I feel like it goes with midwifery. It does, for sure. Do you have a website or social media page? We do. So we are on all social media. Our website is www.imanakids.org. And Imana is I-M-A-N-A. And we're on social media, all the social media, the same, the same name. So everybody should go check it out. Yeah, they should. We've got, we usually... We say there's something for everybody with Amana Kids. Whatever you think you can do or can't do, we'll find a spot for you. Just come and join us. And people can travel if, if there's a need. Yes. 
Yes. So some of our team, so we do a lot of trauma care, but we also do um, the job skill teams are really cool because we have a number of children that are young adults that are phasing out of school. And so the resume building and mock job interviews and life skills, hygiene, all that kind of stuff is something that orphans don't learn because they don't have anyone to teach them that. So Mm -hmm. we usually have a life skills team every year. We have our trauma teams. We usually just have a plain old like sports day camp team because when our children go on school holidays, they they don't have a family to go home to. All their classmates are going home to their their parents, but our kids don't have that. So usually on the holidays, we try to send a team that will do like a day camp of sorts for our students or um, sports or vacation Bible school. Uh, it just depends on the time of year and the group and the volunteers. And then hopefully in 2020, we're going to start having at least one dental medical team because we are in the process of building a community health center. Mm -hmm. So sign up for our newsletters and you can get all the details. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's so awesome. You guys are going to just grow. There's room for everybody. There's room for everyone. That's what we always say. We'll make room. Yep. And midwives love that. So (laughs) yeah, they should go. For sure. Well, Kara, thank you for interviewing with me. Yeah, thanks for asking and thanks for supporting future midwives. Yeah. Kara wanted any aspiring midwives and students to know that she and her practice take students all the time. Her practice, again, is called One World Community Center in Omaha, Nebraska, so look them up if you need a clinical site. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave an iTunes review, and if you would like to interview or know anyone that is willing, reach out to me at journeytomidwiferypodcast at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at midwife.mommy. Last thing is I'll leave you with one last piece of advice from Kara. And I hope you tune in next week for the next interview. So I would say reading on Ina Mae Gaskin, and there's one of her books, Spiritual Midwifery, is just a collection of all her stories. And reading those, taking a break from clinicals or studying and just reading a couple good birth stories or turning on a birth podcast or watching Call the Midwife or just being in conversations with women where they're telling you about their birth stories can be really encouraging and motivating and remind you of why you do what you do.